Hey everyone, Jeremy L. Jones here, author of Ruins of Empire. Did you know the complete series, or at least as much as I've written thus far, is available on Amazon? It's true. You can go there and pick up a copy and support this little project for as little as $3. Or if you don't want to support The Mighty Zon, you can also find us on Barnes & Noble. Grab a copy, follow along, or just keep it on the shelf, and feel good knowing you help support what is probably going to go down in history as the finest pulp sci-fi adventure series ever written. Just saying. You are listening to Runes of Empire, Templum Veneris, book two of the Runes of Empire Project, a serial podcast novel by Jeremy L. Jones, read by the author. Chapter 12 In the days that followed the proclamation, squads of Brazilian police and militia groups stormed corporate offices. They broke up board of directors meetings, dragged executives from their offices, and even raided stockholder sessions. At first... Those arrested were simply taken to the nearest airport and sent back to their country of origin. These included a few Brazilian citizens, who were basically shown a list of international flights and told to pick one. From the Fall, The Decline and Failure of 21st Century Civilization by Martin Raff Vega woke up, opened his eyes, and immediately regretted both decisions. He rolled over on the bed, trying to shield his face from the light pouring in through an open window. The brightness of broad daylight felt like the wrath of all gods ever dreamed up by humans. A low, constant clatter of people being busy in another room combined with a searing pain to make this one of the more unpleasant mornings of his life. Boom die, said a chipper little voice next to his bed. Vago cracked his eye open to see a stunningly beautiful, brown-haired girl standing next to his bed with big, bright eyes and a soft, gentle smile. Okay, maybe it wasn't too bad. Bum die, Vago groaned, rolling over. Where am I? The young woman continued to smile, but tilted her head slightly, indicating that she didn't understand. Vago cursed and tried again. Oh, right. Uh, on de esta... That phrase unleashed an avalanche of words that made Vago's fragile head spin. The young woman chattering at him in a shrill voice didn't do his hangover any good, but he managed to pick up enough to know that he was in a place called House Vincente, which didn't help define his current location. The woman took him by the wrist and started yanking his arm as if to pull him out of bed. Oh, come on, he muttered. After what y'all did to me, please, uh, por favor, sono, sono. The woman kept pulling with greater enthusiasm until he gave in. Fine, I'm coming, I'm coming. Vago got to his feet with the young Cytherian's help. It was only at that moment he realized that he didn't have one bit of clothing on. Even as moments from last night's events flashed through his brain, he felt the embarrassing need to cover his crotch with both hands. The woman looked down as he did and giggled for a moment before laughing outright. Vago, despite himself felt his cheeks flush, but held his hands in place with more determination. Fine, fine, laugh it up. Just trying to be gentlemanly, I guess. Hey, maybe you could help a man with some clothes? Maybe she understood what he said, although he didn't know how that was possible. Either way, she took him by the arm and led him out of the bedroom. She walked him into a much larger, circular room with several couches and plush red upholstery and a fire pit burning in the center. The roof sloped upward toward a central hole 
where the smoke escaped. Whereas the bedroom appeared to have rather modest accommodations, little more than a bed for sleeping and related activities that were, even now, still arriving into memory, this room was clearly built to impress. Several stone columns were spaced in a circle around the room and carved with beautiful, intricate designs of flowers, vines, fruit, and other assorted natural themes. There were three intensely colorful frescoes on the outside walls depicting some kind of glorious battle or another and, set on polished wooden furniture, gold and silver ornaments, jeweled figurines, and other crafts that lent an air of wealth to the place. He also became aware of other women in the room, along with the fact that he still wasn't wearing any clothes. He stood at the entryway with the young woman still holding onto his arm for an awkward moment before he allowed one hand to uncover himself enough for an embarrassed wave. Boom, die, he muttered. It appeared they were waiting for him. As soon as he set foot into the lavish common area, all the women got up and went to him at once. It was all Cytherian chatter that he could barely pick out as he was whisked away in a feminine tide. Within a few minutes, and in spite of some minor protests on his part, he ended up with a white tunic draped over his shoulders, a belt strapped around his waist, and soft leather moccasins placed on his feet. Before he even knew what was happening, he was practically carried to one of the couches and presented with a mug of some questionable-smelling blue-green liquid and a plate of fruit. It all happened so fast that, by the time he had enough presence of mind to object, it was all over. Still, he felt the need to stand up. He wasn't sure what after that. Apologies were probably called for all around. He wasn't sure why, but in his life, it was almost guaranteed. He was curious as to what happened to his clothes, along with his Eros computer and medical regulator. Lastly, he was anxious to leave the situation before Isra found him. She was unlikely to have a sense of humor about this. But when he tried to stand up, one of the women behind him pressed him back down by the shoulders. Hey, okay, listen, I don't know what happened, and this is all very nice, but... His voice trailed off as one of the women began working his shoulders and the back of his neck. Oh, wow, okay, this is... One of the women held out the mug of liquid again. He sighed, deciding it was better to just go along with it. It appeared he had little choice regardless, so he took the mug and examined it for a moment. Foroncha, said the woman who had handed him the cup. Bless you, muttered Vega. He inhaled the steam coming off the drink and recoiled. He wasn't sure what herb they used for this tea, but it obviously objected to being used in this fashion. The woman made a drinking motion with her hands. Bom paravosa. Vago concentrated until he realized what the woman had said. Apparently the tea was good for you, and makes you strong and alert. The other women in the room watched him expectantly, as the one rubbing his shoulders added extra pressure for good measure. Well, if you insist, said Vago wearily. He breathed in deep and took a large swallow. He managed to choke it back, but the bitterness hit the back of his throat like a bag of sand. He coughed and wondered if he was ever going to be able to taste anything again but pine sap and lawn clippings. Almost as quickly, however, he felt himself perk up, and the hangover that threatened to be terminal only a few moments ago faded. He felt a jolt of mental sharpness that rivaled three or four cups of the strongest coffee on earth, but without the jittery feeling. And overall, he just felt better, as if the harsh liquid went through his body and purged anything it found distasteful. Feeling better asked one of the women, and Vago realized he didn't have to translate. His brain was sharp enough now that he just knew what she said. Sim, merheto marhor, obrigado, said Vago. 
He paused for a beat as he realized that while he meant to say yes, much better, thank you, in English, it just came out in Scytherian. The woman smiled and held up a steaming pot. That is good. Would you like some more? Vago drained what was in his mug and held it out for another cup. With his other hand, he grabbed what appeared to be something similar to an apricot from the plate of fruit. As he ate and drank, the women took turns massaging his shoulders while others cuddled up on either side of him. Vega was vaguely aware that someone was knocking at the front door, but he continued to enjoy his breakfast and whatever it was about to lead to. It was only when Gabriel, the Scytherian captain of the guard, strode into the circular common area that Vega felt the need to be embarrassed again. Gabriel, uh, hello, uh, hola, stammered Vega, tripping up between English and Scytherian. What brings you? This isn't what it looks like. Gabriel appeared amused and bowed slightly. It looks as if you are enjoying Arte de Liara of House Vincente. Vago took another drink from his mug and repeated the unfamiliar phrase, Arte de Liara. The display of generosity and kindness a citizen woman shows her male guest. Behind giving birth to and training Scytherian warriors, it is their most important job. Gabriel smiled. It is not often that a man is treated to Arte de Liara from the entire house at once, but you are a special case, I think. Vago smiled as one of the young women kissed him on the cheek. I do feel special. I have experienced House Vincente before, Gabriel continued. They are some of the finest in the city, but I do not need to tell you that. The reason I am here is to invite you to join us on patrol. Gabriel snapped his fingers, and two soldiers marched into the room. One held a breastplate and helmet, and the other a spear and sword. Vago didn't know exactly how to respond to the armor held out for him. It was bewildering and more than a little scary and Isra would definitely not see the humor in this. Uh, thank you. Uh, but I cannot go. I must find Isra. Arinha Isabel is informing her of your participation as we speak. She will not worry. You are safe with us, Gabriel assured. Vega reluctantly extracted himself from the attentions of the women and walked over to inspect the armor presented to him. As he touched the bronze breastplate, an uneasy feeling crept over him, and he pulled his hand back. I prefer my own clothing. And my own weapons if that pleases you. Gabriel looked hurt, but nodded. As you will, of course. I assumed you would want to experience the honor of the Scytherian warrior as one of us. Vago drank the rest of the Feroncha. Meant no offense. I speak as a warrior that is unfamiliar with your ways. I'd feel safer fighting as I've been trained. Vago looked around and added in English. If I can find my clothes, that is. Gabriel laughed and motioned to something behind him. Vago turned around to see the women holding his folded clothing, his shoulder holster, guns, Eros computer, medical regulator, and, he noticed with some amusement, one of them was wearing his wide-brimmed white hat. Vago handed the empty cup to one of the women standing by. Very well, give me a moment and then I'll go with you. Kronos stood by the door, cut and bolted into the side of the ancient colony ship, and tried to relax. He was not nervous. Of course he wasn't. He was just... going over the plan again. Let her take the lead. Yes, that's what Vago had said. It seemed logical enough. He shifted the armload of electronics he had retrieved from the shuttle, a small collection of rugged black and silver metal boxes, the assorted cables of which spilled out over his arms. He only needed one or two of the components, but the extra equipment served as a kind of visual excuse for his sudden exit last night. It was a convenient cover, Kronos thought, but it wasn't getting any lighter. Time to go inside. Joanna had been busy since he left. 
The previously dark control room was now lit by several monitors embedded in the horseshoe-shaped control console. Many of the systems were still inactive, about half the monitors were still dark, and a few that were still powered showed nothing but static, but a precious few of them displayed data again, possibly for the first time in years, maybe decades. As he marveled, Joanna crawled out of the open panel they had been working on yesterday. Kronos, you are back, she said, almost vibrating with excitement. You were correct about the reset. Look! Can you see? Kronos asked, finding a mostly empty workbench to set the components down. Is the electrical system diagnostics operational? Joanna stood up, tapped in a few commands on the system computer, and a few of the screens changed to a running waveform diagram showing the regular hums and spikes of the electrical system. Sim, I think there is still not enough power. Some systems still go away, disappear. There are probably more auxiliary systems we can shut down while we recalibrate, said Kronos, unnecessarily indicating the pile of equipment on the bench. I brought a couple of things from our ship to help, which is why I had to leave last night. Quickly, I need the time to locate things. Joanna looked over her shoulder, and her face lost some of the bright cheerfulness. Seem, last night, she said. I am very sorry. Sorry for what? Kronos selected one of the electronic devices without looking at her. After all, what did she have to apologize for? He was the one who bolted for the door like a cockroach caught in the light. I made you feel uncomfortable, Joanna replied, looking at the floor. Kronos walked over to the computer terminal where she stood. Uncomfortable didn't begin to describe how he felt even now as he got close to her. It wasn't a bad kind of uncomfortable. It was like a puzzle, or a complicated algorithm, or a new security protocol to overcome. It was the kind of uncomfortable that grabbed him by the frontal lobe and forced his attention until he found the answer. And for some reason, he wanted to tell her that. But even the thought caused his throat to go dry and his hands to shake. Now, close enough to see fine detail in her face, he was torn between a desire to get closer and the instinct to flee. He craved the intimacy, but he didn't know how to get it or what to do with it, and for some reason he wanted to explain all of this to her. No, he told himself, let her take the lead. That's what Vago had said. It was good advice, especially since he couldn't think of any combination of words in any language to describe what he was thinking and he sure as hell didn't know what to do. He realized he had been standing in front of the workbench, turning the same component over in his hand for several minutes, with Joanna standing less than a meter away with an expectant look in her eye. He thrust the electronic device between them as if he expected it to protect him. This is an external electrical systems module, he said with a touch of panic. We can plug it into the working computer system. It'll then access system resources to find internal electrical problems, and perhaps... Find ways to reroute them. Joanna smiled and wiped a bead of sweat from her forehead with the back of her hand. It fixes electrical system. Some parts. We may have to build new connections in some places. But yes, it will help us discover what we must do next. Kronos found himself staring into Joanna's blue-gray eyes. Shit, he was staring. He needed a distraction, quick. He turned his attention to the computer and began fumbling for a place to connect the module. Let her take the lead, he told himself again. It was going to happen soon. Kronos could feel enough electricity between them that the blank monitors should power up by sheer proximity. After that, well, it was simple biology, wasn't it? Nothing complicated. 
He attached the module and activated it through the computer system while Joanna stood next to him and watched with interest. Kronos started a diagnostic process and took a deep breath. It is going to take a while, I'm afraid. There are many variables to test. When Joanna looked at him, it was enough to make some of his internal organs start a series of back handsprings. Very well, said Joanna. There is a separate system I was working on before. Ship logs and diagnostics. I could work on that a while while we wait. And that was it. It was like spending hours trying to figure out how to navigate a new security system, only to find that the owner never actually set a password. He felt a strange relief mixed with equal parts disappointment. Oh, yes, said Kronos. And I suppose I could start downloading data from the systems that are online right now. Very good, said Joanna. You will tell me when we are ready to continue? Of course. Kronos went back to the ancient computer, stared at the screen, and tried to figure out how, exactly, he had screwed it up this time. You have been listening to The Ruins of Empire, Templum Veneris, the second book of The Ruins of Empire Project. The Ruins of Empire podcast was written by Jeremy L. Jones and produced by Sean Vincent. Cover art was by Nick Martin. Music was Predator by Purple Planet at purpleplanet.com, licensed under Creative Commons 3.0 license. City of Geeks, independent new media produced in Idaho.